Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Gabriella Hoffman, and this is District of Conservation, episode 112. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Congressman Bruce Westerman, the lone registered forester in Congress. He has a very unique insight into forest management, wildfire causes, conservation, free market environmentalism, and much more. And it's really cool to hear that he's a fan of the podcast. Today's guest is Mia Anstein. And Mia is a friend of mine and someone I have grown to look up to just in my journey in outdoor communications. And she seriously does it all and is a wonderful person online and offline. And she just is in the know about what's happening in Colorado in her her backyard and in her backyard. Here's a little bit on her bio. Mia Anstein writes from her home, The Funny Farm, in the Rocky Mountains of Southwest Colorado. She grew up in a small house on a dirt road along the San Juan River. Her father hunted to put food on the table. Mom's Mia grew a garden, sewed, and taught her daughter how to fish. Her great-grandfather used to visit the area for annual hunting trips and passed on his skills to Mia's father, who passed them on to her. From her rural home base, Mia's traveled to pursue wild animals around the world. She guides hunters chasing elk, mule deer, black bears, and Miriam's turkeys in southwest Colorado and northern New Mexico. Growing up, Mia learned about all things wonderful through a simple pioneer way of life. Most people these days will never have the opportunity to experience or even understand the ways of living independent of technology. That's the basic style of living in the Colorado mountains that inspired her to encourage others to get outside, hunt, fish, shoot, cook, eat, survive, create, and live life in a positive way. Mia's work has been featured on television, radio, and in newspapers and magazines. She is a hunting guide and instructor in archery firearms and other outdoor-related skills. She's an engaging speaker, commentator, and instructor. Mia has been featured in numerous interviews, and her passion for influencing other projects. Others projected Mia to become the first American woman to be featured on the cover of Field and Stream magazine, the August 2016 issue. Mia, along with 10 other ladies profiled inside, are, quote, feet on the ground, and quote, everyday women who are making a difference in the outdoor and hunting industry. She's also been featured in Cage Houtman's Why Women Hunt and Chris Christman's Women's Work. Her, With her inspiration and passion to share, Mia has created her business, Mac Outdoors, where you'll find her articles, videos, podcasts, apparel, accessories, homemade creations, recipes, and more. If you'd like to learn more, visit MiaAnstein.com. I also would like to note that she is a board member of the professional outdoor media association an accomplished writer and much more and today's focus is largely going to be on colorado proposition 114 which is about the forced reintroduction of wolves which has the parks and game commission there up in arms naturally so and a lot of residents too because this would take away management efforts from biologists and put the decision making capabilities in the hands of voters which with respect to this it may not be seen as a judicious good thing to do because it's usually the wildlife biologists who are tasked with handling wildlife management efforts. So she talks about that as well. And we just run the gamut on 
the future of outdoor media, how to get women involved in hunting and other related activities, and much more. Here's our conversation with Mia Anstein. We are joined by Mia Anstein here on District of Conservation. Mia, it is so great to catch up with you. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks for having me on your show. Of course. And you just came from the field. You were helping your brother-in-law guide for some bugling elk, yes? Yes. So we were way up in the high country, uh, about uh, over 11,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains and the wilderness chasing elk. So yeah, just got back. That is so cool. And you've been plugged into the outdoors, I would say, for much of your professional career. But why don't you explain to people who you are, what you do, your guiding experience, why you're in the hunting industry, and so forth. All righty. Well, uh, it's kind of a long elevator speech. I've been working on getting my my criteria shortened, but kind of a long and short of it is I live in the mountains in Colorado, and I guide hunters, and um, primarily for turkey now. I used to guide for elk, mule deer, and bear, and on occasion, when I'm invited to private properties, I still do that, but I've kind of cut back because we do a lot more stuff for our family now. But uh, we were up there chasing elk in a limited draw unit, which means it's really tough to get a hunting license in that area. And so I, I do that. I also do a lot of advocating uh, for wildlife, for hunters, for ranchers and farmers and that kind of stuff. I do that at the Capitol in our state as well as in Washington, D.C. And I'm a firearms instructor, an archery instructor, and a keynote speaker. Yeah, and we connected a few years ago. I forget exactly what was the the starting point, but I've known you for a few years. I've looked up to you as an inspiration. I've had you on a video series I used to do called Sports Women You Ought to Know, We're also both involved in Professional Outdoor Media Association. And people, I think, don't know this about you, that you're actually the first American woman to ever grace the cover of a print edition of Field and Stream magazine. Uh, Why don't you talk about that experience, too, enmeshed with kind of your work as well? Yeah, that was quite an honor. I mean, it's still, it's been four years ago. It was a 2016 issue. And to me, it was a huge honor because I... I do a lot of work. I work really hard to uh, keep our traditions and keep hunting, keep good wildlife populations, and to educate others about it. And as an outdoor writer, which I didn't mention, and you said Professional Outdoor Media Association, I'm on the board of the Professional Outdoor Media Association. But as a writer, I have reached a lot of people, and that may have been where you originally found me. I'm not positive because as you were saying that, I was trying to think of how we initially first met and I'm really not sure because maybe our paths cross a, they, they cross a lot so I don't remember yeah. but um as an outdoor writer I, I try to inspire others and whatnot and so it was such an honor to be among a bunch of other women who are just boots on the ground people every day uh not uh, a celebrity or an outdoor celebrity somebody who has a tv show or something like that but to be honored in that issue for the work that I do was, mm-hmm. it was really neat. I, I still, I'm kind of speechless. I don't know. I stutter over it every time. And that's probably why you say a lot of people don't know, because I really don't talk about it a whole lot unless someone brings it up. So it's, it's pretty neat. And it's neat to think about. 
Yeah, and and uh, that was really cool to see that because what it was Queen Elizabeth first, then were you before or after Eva Shockey was on the cover? I forget. At, after. Okay, so yeah, you were the third woman, but the first American woman because it was interesting that they would feature women who were not born in the United States of an American publication. But hey, it's it's pretty interesting yeah. that they finally they finally got around to putting an American woman on on their American yeah. publication. <laughs> and and I, I guess I mean I'm I love Eva I'm friends with her but it, it was I'm not tall and blonde and gorgeous and beautiful you know like the picture of what people think of as a model and so a five foot two Hispanic girl being on the cover was pretty cool. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's not anything wrong. No, no, it was great that they featured that. I'm not I'm not questioning their selection. Well, no, great. I'm just saying for me personally, not for you. Just for me personally. I mean, if people, you know, you think of someone on a cover, it's like, oh, well, let's get let's get the blonde one or whatever is kind of the general thing that I think of. And so I was like honored, like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm short. I'm not. You know, <laughs> you were gorgeous. Don't not a cover model. <laughs> you're, you're you're beautiful. Absolutely, you deserve. You have a, a unique look, natural beauty. So of course they would pick someone like you too. It makes sense too. <laughs> you don't have to just be. And, and, and really, honestly, I mean, the article wasn't really about that, but just right, right. It was like to me, it was like wow. And so when I was featured on there, I knew that they were covering my story in the article because I'd been interviewed for it. So I knew that, but one of my friends, um, a friend from Swarovski Optics, he called me and I wake up at God awful hours in the morning. So he calls me at four in the morning and he's like, congratulations. And I was, I said, what? Like, what are you talking about? He's like on the cover. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And then I, I was like half awake and yeah, you're on the cover of Field and Stream magazine. And so it was just something like, what? Wow. Uh, no I I bet that was such a cool experience I mean how often I mean and I don't know if it's still a big problem I think the greater outdoor industry they always talk about you know more women being shown um although I keep hearing that like with magazines dying we're not going to really see that unless if it's like uh, other type of printed mediums but I think uh, women like yourself are starting to be featured more in magazines and in catalogs. I mean, w- more women like us, I should say in general. But I've had a lot of people come to me recently, a lot of young people, some some mutual friends of ours like Debbie Hansen put me in touch with a few young up-and-comers. And a lot of kids have questions and I keep telling them like, hey, look into POMA or look into a similar group like ours that offers uh, let's say like um, student memberships, because they keep saying like, well, an obstacle for a lot of membership options is that I have to have something already printed where I got paid and we haven't done that yet. I'm like, oh yeah, but a lot of places will offer like student scholarships, but is that where let's say uh, communications organizations can come in with helping to kind of uh, cultivate the next generation? I know we've seen a lot of growth as an organization uh, and we had actually a pretty good online conference uh, considering COVID and all that. Like it was pretty well received. I really enjoyed sitting through that. Although I did miss the in-person conference like last year, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I keep hearing from a lot of people that they want to get into outdoor riding and to join organizations like POMA or even COPA because I know they have a really good collegiate program as well. But is that something we can encourage uh, budding riders or outdoor communicators to do? Absolutely. I, I'm always encouraging them to do that. It, it's a great way to get your feet on the ground and learn 
kind of the learn the ropes of media and of outdoor media. It's also a great way to meet different people as far as the publishing and the manufacturing and then other writers and, and also to learn about different types of media that maybe you're not working in yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would hope to see that we could see more growth. And I think we will mm-hmm. uh, in, in the organization and even I think in outdoor communication as a whole. Although uh, kind of with the dissolution of newspapers, I've also seen like outdoor columns in many local Virginia dailies are starting to go away, which makes me so sad that is there no more demand for that type of like original reporting or column writing? Um, with few exceptions, Ken Perrott um, actually still is lucky to maintain a column in the Fredericksburg paper. But I thought like the Virginia Beach publication has like start to let go of their writers. And it, it kind of makes me sad to see that like that uh, niche reporting is starting to go. Although people are filling the void, like I said, with like online publications and come, uh-huh. kind of more established ones are are going full digital um, but yeah, it, it, it's still a very important beat. We always hear people talk about hunting. They often talk about hunting in a very negative light. That's usually when I see things in media is that kind of your perception about it. Um, is, is there a way where organizations like Poma and others can kind of help breed a new, uh, breed of, let's say like outdoor writer, that's kind of an independent person, not really latched onto an organization, but going out there covering things where they can help fill the void, perhaps created by all these media organizations, perhaps shuttering their doors or getting rid of the outdoor sections? Yeah, uh, and I mean, thinking of getting new writers in nowadays, I mean, as you're saying, if, if print is waning and something else is growing, then you have to adapt and go into what is growing. So with POMA, we've actually developed influencer categories, which covers. Recently, yeah. yeah. So if, if you are an influencer, if you do YouTube videos, you fall into that category. So many people now are doing video on Instagram and that would fall into that category. So we have room for all of those. And even me, myself, I, started writing online and then went to print. I didn't start in print. So there's, there's more that you can do than, than just one genre. And really it's, it's a way to be diverse and spread the message to a variety of audiences. So you're not only hitting one demographic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Video is something uh, we often talk about in the outdoor industry and especially in the communications world and I think a lot of more people are becoming comfortable. Like I just recently did a, a video project, uh, which I'll probably be able to announce in a few weeks or so. And I had to self-film myself fishing, which was extremely difficult when you don't have someone to assist you. And there's a greater demand, I think, also like not only for writing, like which I can do pretty well uh, handling that, but like video can be challenging, if, but, but it's really fun to learn and really fun kind of to, to navigate and master when you kind of learn how to do it because it teaches you how to like get the right shot, how to film excess video. So you have enough content to edit, splice and dice. Uh, but also people are consuming video kind yeah. of more readily, um, especially people in, in my generation, your daughter's age uh, and younger. Um, everyone is trying to yeah. consume things through like these 15 second, 30 second video clips, especially outdoor content. Um, so yeah, I think video is kind of... Uh, emerging medium it has kind of been an emerging medium since youtube first came about but now everyone's like with because of tiktok or instagram reels they want these these like shorter clips that are more consumable 
uh, out there for people to kind of look at, engage yeah. with, and like kind of get a snapshot into like fishing or hunting or, or shooting guns. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I would say probably the queen of self-filming in the outdoor industry is Melissa Bachman. Yeah, she, yeah, she's good. Self-filmed all of her stuff. I don't know if she's still doing that, but when she started out, she was filming all of her own episodes. And so it, oh it's gosh. something that can be done. And it just takes a little practice and confidence and just, you know, you know what you want to do and get out there. Something fun with Poma is meeting other people who have experience and kind of partnering with them and allowing them to help you just get feedback and be being open to constructive criticism, which is something that I, I know a lot of people have difficulty with that. But sometimes mm-hmm. that's what you need to hear is, you know, like, oh, well, your transition here is terrible, but you could do this better, you know, and, and some people might actually tell you it's terrible, do this, you know, and sometimes it might hurt, but you need to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have to take constructive criticism. It may be stinging and painful in the beginning, but you know, hopefully people are, are nice enough to say, oh, yeah. you know, this is not terrible, but hey, why don't you try this on your next one? But it's a good thing to be open to somebody who is like brutally honest. And I, I can't think of anybody who's really done that specifically to me other than editors will tell me, you know, do this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, I've had to, I had to get over like constructive criticism early in my writing career because they said, you're going to have to like toughen up and like brace yourself for rejection. And I've had many rejections. People think like, oh my God, you're published everywhere. Yeah. You must be super successful automatically. I'm like, no, I had many pieces rejected along my way in this writing journey or even communications journey. It's only natural that you do. And it actually, it makes you stronger um, and to get you to the point where you can so- publish. Mm-hmm. With you, what I've noticed is that you're persistent and you don't give up. And that is an important quality. Oh, yeah. You want to be in writing and social media and anything, you have to be persistent and you're pretty focused. And that helps too, is to just be focused and know what you want to do. Right. Yeah. And I hope I'm not the only one employing that strategy. I always tell people who have questions like, this is what I did. Like, it may not work foolproof for you but at least try some aspects of it and you never know what will happen. And I tell people because I see a lot of younger kids and they have like bright shiny stars in their eyes and they're like, how can I be like as nationally known? I said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. like don't, don't shoot too far. I said, first you want to start yeah. in your area, your state, maybe your County and then work your way up. That's kind of what I did in politics. And with my writing, I focused on my university and kind of San Diego and, and Southern California. So I tell people start local yeah. and expand because once you become kind of like a big fish, or not a big fish, but once you become a big fish in, uh, in a small pond or you've kind of made some news in your local area, you've covered, covered a beat that no one really has touched upon, then you can work your way to cover like national topics because everyone, I see this in politics, that everyone has an opinion about national affairs and it's very saturated and nothing really sticks out to me as a thought-provoking story because I'm seeing the same take regurgitated time and time again. And for what I tell people for outdoor con, it's like, Hey, you can find a hook. Like you're fishing in Florida. There are so many different species, so many different waterways. You have a back country, you have um, freshwater opportunities. You have deep sea opportunities. If you're in Virginia, you have mountain fishing, lake fishing, uh, backwater brackish 
uh, salt water, all these different types of things. So I tell people like cover, find something that is not being covered about like, or some unique species hunting or fishing is found in your state and it's being recovered or maybe people are starting to discover it. So that's where I tell people, especially young outdoor riders, like to begin, like I, I tell them, find a hook that no one really has mastered, roll with it, try to get it to the eyes of people who may have influence or who have influence to distribute it. If you tell your story more, um, but, but that's the way because you can get easily lost and, and not break out easily because so many people are just trying to chase that national bent. Um, so I, I tell people like, or, or find out if you're, if you want to cover public policy and something we'll dip into next, um, kind of like the Colorado wolf ballot initiative, which I know you're very passionate about. And I, I brought you on largely to talk about that, but like things like that, that no one talks about because there's so much legislation when it comes to hunting and fishing and public lands that kind of gets under the radar. Um, but I tell people like, yeah, you may have to find something controversial to pick up too, because people want to pay attention to n- and know more about that. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's a good area to, to dabble in for sure. For, for me, I have focused on that area. As you said, I'm passionate about it. I grew up in Colorado and the state had, the population has just exploded there over the years. And we have 5.8 million people in the state. So hunting in general, the habitat for the wild animals has decreased. So it's something that I, I look at all the time. And then we have a decreased habitat with dwindling elk populations. And then you want to introduce a predator in addition to the the overgrown bear predator population. And, you, and then they're going to want to introduce another one to it. It's, it's something that doesn't sound good. It's something that in our state, our Colorado Parks and Wildlife has advocated against, which is why it's gone to the ballot. So that's something that, like you said, you just mentioned in it, it just kind of raises my blood pressure a little because it is something that I am passionate about. And as an outdoor rider, I, I wouldn't say that I focus on a local market or a national market or even international. I, I try to just educate everybody to, we, we speak for the animals. They can't speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I'm not even sure that I ever wanted to be popular with it. It's just a message in general when I've written about hunting is I want people to care about the animals. And it's a message a lot of people don't understand is that as a hunter, yes, I do shoot animals and yes, I do eat animals, but I also care a lot about animals. And so that's something that you can as a a new writer or even an experienced writer, it's a story that you can put out there is how to care about the animals. And to me, the wolf thing is a a key area where we have to speak up for the animals to educate now, not just our outdoor industry, but the non-hunters. They they need to know how it's going to impact our state. And and really in Colorado, it's going to spread just like the wolves that are coming in from Wyoming are spreading to Colorado already. There's wolves from, from New Mexico that are already coming into Colorado. And that's something that some people aren't aware of where we need to let them know and educate them about that. So it's, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> that's an area you can spread into. Yeah, I was, uh, this is interesting. I think I had sent this article to you. This is from your state paper, the Denver post so they're in support of this, their editorial board. Um, but it's interesting that they said that 
despite us supporting this measure, people have to come to grips with the fact that wolves are going to be cold. I know uh, the the yes on Proposition 114 is being billed as like, okay, no hunting of wolves. Why are they saying that, for instance, people will have to accept that wolves will be managed if it passes? Although people like yourself have argued that su- not supporting it will actually uh, be better. So, so why are they taking kind of like this, uh, let's say a double-headed uh, position on this? That is a double-headed position. And I cannot tell you why they're taking the double-headed position. I think, and this is my opinion because I can't speak for them. I think they're saying that because they really don't have all of the background on the wolves. What they have is an ear from their ear has been bent by someone else who's saying that wolves will be good and yes, they'll be managed because right now there is a management plan in forest. If they ever get delisted, Colorado parks and wildlife has a management plan already, but they're not delisted yet. So that's not, that's really not an option. And you can't say that they'll be managed other than, me as a rancher, somebody who lives in rural Colorado, if it mm-hmm. attacks my livestock or my animals, I'll be able to shoot that wolf. But then I'm going to have to prove that it was attacking my animal. Um, if my animals are found dead and I didn't see a wolf do it, I won't get compensated for my livestock unless I have proof that mm-hmm. a wolf did that. So it, it, there's really a lot of there's a lot of shady areas in it that aren't, aren't, they're not the, it's not the best for everybody. And if we already have wolves coming into Colorado, we can gradually watch them grow. They're going to reproduce and they already are reproducing. There's already been reports of a pack in Northern Colorado. So it's, it's something that how do we management, manage them when they aren't being allowed to hunt? We can't hunt them. So how do you manage them if you can't hunt them? You, it's not like we can trap them and relocate them. That's not, that's not a management plan. Yeah, because so let me read a little bit for you. So obviously they're endorsing it, but they're taking like this nuanced view. Like uh, we can understand why some hunting organizations are opposed to wolf introduction, given the uncertainty of Yellowstone's experiments impacts. And then they go on to say, but Coloradans must be prepared for the other side of the coin when it comes to reintroduction of wolves, hunting to manage the population of this effective predator. And then they conclude this paragraph by saying, we know from experience that many Coloradans are vehemently opposed to the trapping and killing of mountain lions and bears being done in some areas of the state. Wildlife officials will need to stand strong to manage the wolf population. So it's really weird that they're taking this yeah. kind of, yeah. This, uh, it, it's, a, it's a double, that's a double stand. It's, it's, it's just meant to influence somebody, but it's not with facts. And, and a big thing that, the whole state of Colorado needs to understand if you're, if as a voter, I am not a biologist. Who am I to decide whether an animal should be put into the population? The mm-hmm. biologists from Colorado Parks and Wildlife have already said no, because they're already entering the state. If we introduce wolves into Colorado, we don't have the budget to manage wolves. It's going to cost us approximately six million dollars to start off okay and that that's just to start off is six million dollars right away our state right now has already cut 
funding on education? And are, isn't the education of children important? Like that's important. And but but you also have you want to vote to introduce something into our state that's going to cost six million dollars. But the the K through twelve education budget it has been cut by one point two billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So right there, I mean, as a parent, my child has already grown, but. I think the schools need to be funded. I think it, a teacher needs to be paid. They're, they are doing a lot of work. They're teaching our children. They need to be paid. That's something that maybe they should be looking at is where where is the money going to come from to manage these? And hunters also provide money to Colorado. They give money to Colorado Parks and Wildlife from Colorado hunters to other hunters that come here from out of state to hunt, if our elk population is dwindling, where are they going to get that money from those hunters that to pursue an animal that the population has dwindled? So th- there's a whole big nuance, and I wish that people would go and sit in on the game commission meetings and learn about their budgets and how they work and so forth, as well as the state budget, because as I said, the state budget Gabrielle already don't... Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, I was I thought that would be No, but no, if, that, if was, that was my state... mistake. Sorry, I was testing something. Go ahead. Continue. I'll pull <laughs> that out. <laughs> no worries. I mean, if if your state budget's already you can't we 2 years ago we had as a finance uh we had to pass the finance for Colorado Parks and Wildlife through the legislation in Colorado because Colorado Parks and Wildlife was not able to operate. The money is dwindling. And so we had to go and make pass a resolution for them to be able to increase the price of hunting licenses. We're now charging for an aquatic nuisance species. And this is on the, the boating and stuff like that. We do inspections, and now we're paying a fee, and this is all to help fund Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So if, if they barely did that a few years ago before this idea was even introduced, there's not money for Colorado Parks and Wildlife to manage wolves. There, I could go on and on for hours about different things on this. <laughs> No, yeah, it's it's super important to pay attention to what happens in your backyard. That can certainly be argued and fit into, let's say, if you want to break out as an outdoor communicator and why many people trust you on Colorado issues as it relates to this. Um, and I think I saw, I think the Associated Press reported that by year's end, I think the Trump administration will fully delist the lower 48 gray wolf. So that could probably... So here's, a, here's a big thing that you just said, the Trump administration. So even if this bill... If this bill passes, mm-hmm. that doesn't guarantee that the wolves will be delisted. It depends on who you're voting for president. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Secretary Bernhardt is going to be there if Trump doesn't win the election? And do you, because he's yeah. the one who is working to get these wolves delisted. So that's not a guarantee. Because I do, I have ran into some people in Colorado that, oh, well, they're going to be delisted, then we can hunt them. But are they? Because we don't know who the administration is going to be. And by the looks of it right now, how many days do we have until election? 
20 something. <laughs> I mean, everything is 20, 20 something. So in 20 something days, do you think the wolf is going to get delisted, you know, or in, and by the time of the end of his term, maybe they'll be delisted. Maybe they won't. Can we bank on that? Right. Yeah. That, that's certainly up in the air. Although I'm, I'm a little optimistic that maybe they will stay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's for, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping that they will stay also, but yeah. it's not something that I'm not going to go and vote to have wolves right. introduced into Colorado banking right. that I can hunt them six months, you know, six months from now they'll that's be delisted. Right. I don't know that. And, and actually then we would have to wait for the populations to grow in, into mm-hmm. a number that we would consider manageable. Because mm-hmm. that's a battle mm-hmm. in other states that they're having right now is, okay, they're delisted here. We can hunt them in this state, but then they're not, and it goes to court. So the, it, it's just a big tangled web that it, it would be better to just deal with them coming in here naturally. And instead of being a voter and me deciding that I think that wolves should be here because I think wolves are pretty, because actually I do think wolves are amazing animals. I, I, I love a wolf, but I don't think, I don't think we need to dump them out in Colorado. I think people have a misunderstanding of hunters supporting these management efforts because I like bears. I like wolves. I do see Mm -hmm. a purpose too, that you have to manage them because if you thin out or let's say, um, help cull their numbers, that means that fewer of them have to be unnecessarily killed, let's say, by game wardens or poachers. Uh, if, right. the, if, let's say, the aggressive ones or the ones that pose problems are eliminated from the equation through a management system, whether it's trapping or a wolf hunt, I think um, that that's overall better also for the herd. People think like, oh, that subtracts from the overall purpose. But actually, that, that let's say like a, a, problem, a, a problem wolf Uh, not only menaces with humans, it also is problematic to other animals, other wolves, coyotes, ungulate species. I think people, people don't understand that kind of dynamic too, where you can appreciate the species, but also see the need to manage them because then they're going to become out of control and wreak havoc. I mean, we see this with the greater Yellowstone ecosystem grizzly bear, where I, I've never heard of so many different um, wildlife agents or game wardens having to kill. I feel like they've killed so many bears. I mean, they had to because they're problem bears and they don't allow for a managed hunt of grizzlies right now because of that injunction by the judge in Montana, but they're killing more bears than necessarily would be taken out during the proposed bear hunting season, the grizzly bear hunting season. So it's like, they're actually killing, not killing off more of the herd than expected from the hunt, but they're, they're taking out more bears than those that would actually be harvested, let's say during the very highly regulated managed hunt. So I don't see how that works. Uh, And that, that state, that state would be receiving money. I don't know what that alert was. (laughs) You heard it. Um, But that state would be receiving money from a hunter. If a hunter paid for a hunting license, just pursue that. Whereas right now the state is having to spend money to pay the game warden to manage that. So it's it, that right there is economics and something that you should learn in business where the hunters are actually providing income to help those states manage their wildlife. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah, it's it's convoluted, but it's not so difficult to understand. And I think we're starting mm-hmm. to see more hunting organizations come out in the forefront to advocate like you can have this dual view. You can have this reverence for the species, but also see the need to manage them because uh, if they're not properly managed, like everything will be kind of in chaos and, and descend into this unknown territory where it's 
bad for everything, bad for the species, bad for humans, bad for their uh, prey, bad for everyone. And uh, yeah, a lot of emotionalism, emotional uh, feelings are attached to this understandably, but um, there, there are bigger things than feelings. Uh, people's livelihoods are at stake. Uh, people's well-beings are at stake. And the species well-being is also at stake too. Yeah. And you know, something that you keep talking about the greater Yellowstone area, we really can't be compared to that. And as I mentioned earlier, we have 5.8 million people in Colorado. The state of Wyoming, the entire state has 580,000 people. That's a huge difference. And we can't be compared. Everyone always pulls that up as an analysis. Oh, since, since they've been introduced, their habitat has increased and this and that. But the problem is here, we've introduced a lot of humans and our habitat has decreased, not because of deer and elk, it's decreased because of, we have 5.8 million people in the state now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, certainly population-wise, they're two very different states, um, but it's kind of like in California too with the mountain lion uh, and how um, they forbid the hunt since the early 90s, I think, and now the certain or certain populations of the cat are dying by ingesting poison um and and they've kind of expanded beyond their carrying capacity and they're they're being killed unnecessarily by by uh wildlife officials and others um just because they're not managed when it could be a lot more cost efficient where hunters can come and help manage them not see them die uh with such greater frequency like we do and i remember when i was growing up in southern california uh, there was a mountain lion on the golf course just below where I lived. And we had heard that uh, the animal, I think, I don't know if it was animal control. I would hope it was California wildlife. Uh, would They had to euthanize the cat, although the cat wasn't really posing any threat. So I feel like a lot of resources are wasted uh, with people complaining um, yeah. about them or there's no active management system in place. So like, what else are they going to do? They're going to, they don't know if the cat attacked a person. They don't know if the cat attacked a dog, whatever. So I feel like a lot of these um, conflicts can be resolved more easily and and fewer cats can be susceptible, I guess, to an an untimely death if there was a management system in place. And I know some people are explaining this really well. I know Safari Club has started to do this really well. Um, Have you heard of the Blood Origins Project? They're really trying to mystify this as well. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think I think we're starting to win the argument because people can complain about trophy hunting all they want. Um, a trophy is very subjective, as we know. But I yeah, think- my my trophies probably none of them really make the record books, but I call them trophies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one else would. Like, why do you choose that size? The trophy. <laughs> I think as long as I mean, for me being an adult onset hunter, because I grew up with fishing. That's fishing is more of my background. But like as an adult yeah. onset hunter. I've kind of come to believe like the trophy is very subjective and it's really cool to get a nice buck or a nice, a bull elk with all these different tines and points and all that. That'd be cool to get one day, but I'd be really happy like in early in my journey right now, I'm going into like my third or fourth, I think it's my fourth season and I'm supposed to be going mule deer hunting sometime in Wyoming later in a few weeks but it's like I would be perfectly content with getting a doe because I want to like work my way up to getting a really big animal or a big ungulate species um, and that would be a trophy to me too I fully believe that and I think other adult onset hunters should have that view as well um, start small with smaller game birds upland or waterfowl uh, 
progress probably to like feral hogs, deer, of course, because deer out here in this way are super problematic. There are too many of them. Uh, they're often uh, getting into collisions with cars. They're carrying Lyme's disease with the Lyme ticks and uh, they need to be managed. So I think people are happy here when hunters can help cull their numbers through the archery program or through rifle or muzzleloader season. So yeah, I think um, the trophy is very subjective and uh, yeah, anything is a trophy. If you've worked hard for it, if you kind of labored over it um, and it's something you're proud of, you should definitely call it a trophy. Cause I think people misconstrue like African hunting with trophy hunting I mean, right. and I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. No, they don't. Yes, I might, I might have antlers on my wall, but to me, my trophy is more. It's it, it would be the equivalent of somebody's photograph. When mm-hmm. I when I look at the elk on my wall, I think of the experience that happened leading up to all the hard work that got me there to achieve that goal. And, and then after you have achieved that goal, it's all of the dinners and sitting around the table with my family in talking about their day, talking about maybe we're talking politics. Sometimes we talk politics, not too often at our table. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's that that to me is the trophy is I'm providing organic meat for my family. Uh, it's the packaging because I process all my own game and packaging that up, putting that down we try to use every part of the animal that we can and we've, I've donated to other families that need stuff to me. That's the trophy. Mm -hmm. And this year with 2020 and with the shortages of meat and so forth, we've donated meat to friends and family that that are non hunters, but they're so happy that we hunt and have asked you, you know, there's no meat at the store. What should I do? And, you know, we have cattle also, and, you know, we're not going to butcher a beef right now. It, at the time in springtime, wasn't really the time to be butchering. They're calving. They're having babies. You don't butcher them then. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different gamut of things. But we had elk in our freezer. We had extra elk. So we, we were able to share our meat with them. And that really feels good to be able to help someone else. And maybe they don't want to hunt, but they appreciate organic meat. So it, it's really it's a rewarding thing to be a hunter, although not everybody has to be a hunter. And it, it's a really interesting thing that if you, somebody has questions about it, sit down and visit with a hunter and ask them about it. Don't just assume that they're cold-blooded killers or that they want to slaughter every animal because I don't. It's an interesting thing while we're sitting here visiting. I'm at the NRA Whittington Center in Raton, New Mexico, and Laura Evans, she has Silver Bullet Marketing. We're driving away from, I was recording an event, and there is a pronghorn off the road there, and I stopped, and we're taking pictures of it, and I was explaining to her why its horns grow the way they do, and I'm explaining horns, and she's kind of looking at me, and she has hunted a little, as you said, like the progression of hog hunts and stuff like that. And she's looking at me and I said, you're laughing at me because I'm loving this animal right now, aren't you? And she's like, yes. And I said, see, hunters are not cold-blooded killers. I'm loving this animal. It's just gorgeous. It's standing here and we're taking pictures of it right now. And I'm such a tourist, but yes, I do hunt. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's perfectly fine to do that. And I think we're seeing more women picking up the mantle to go hunting. I think that's what we'll see a lot with um 
some of the information and data that will likely come in for that. Uh, perhaps I think it's going to be the next U.S. Fish and Wildlife National Report on hunting and fishing. That should probably be uh-huh. due out um, next year, I think, or maybe later this year. It comes out every three to five years or four to five years. I should say, but yeah. some initial information shows that there are now like 3 million more women hunters over the last decade than before. I think that's what yeah. I saw some initially initial numbers, which was really cool to see that. Yeah. So, and so for women who want to get started hunting, there yeah. are a lot of women's groups. There's of course, go to hunter education, but there are a lot of women's hunting groups and something that I've noticed a lot of my following are men who are afraid to ask questions and they get intimidated because with men, it's kind of you as a boy, you're, you're just to grow up hunting and your dads and your uncles and your grandpa, they should take you and teach you. Well, there are a lot of men who don't have access to that, who are self-taught and there's, there's not a lot of movements to bring men into it. So that's something where, I would suggest they join organizations like Safari Club International, which SCI doesn't mean you're going safari. It's just right. SCI is first for hunters and wildlife education. So you can get an education there and you can join Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, these different conservation organizations, and you can find mentors there that will help you learn how to hunt. So you don't have to do it solo. You don't have to learn on your own. But you can also go to writers and maybe they have a book, maybe they have an article, maybe they have expanded into video and you can learn there. So there's, there's a lot of outlets for new hunters to get, get in there if they're interested in learning. Are there any women-specific programs? I know in Wyoming, they have the annual women's hunt that Ashley Lundville helps organize and a few others like that. Does Colorado have something? I've attended the Wyoming Women's Antelope Hunt. That is an outstanding event. You need to apply to go to that if if you're interested. And they're hunting pronghorn antelope in Wyoming. It's It's an amazing event. And if you, if you haven't been there, Gabriella, you I haven't, no. try, to, try to get on their list as media and attend. It's, it's very well done. It's a great event. If someone wants to sponsor that event, they have outlets where you can donate and sponsor to that. I think they have an online auction going on in, in October. I, I could be mistaken because be, being at home constantly, it's hard to know which days of the weeks and months sometimes it seems like. In Colorado, in the mid-October, the SCI Denver, they have Sables. SCI Sables is a, it's an education division of SCI, and they'll have a women's pheasant hunt in, out by Denver. So that's another thing that you can look to. Sables, in general, they have women's hunts throughout the United States periodically, and then they also do stuff internationally. So you can get into that as well. That is very cool. And then also like becoming an outdoors woman is also another program, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That becoming an outdoors woman is something to look into. They have even more than hunting. You can do backpacking, you can do kayaking, you can oh go gosh. fishing. So there's a lot of things. And something else I would suggest to people, if you have an idea, go to one of these organizations and bring it to them and you can create it. And people with experience, you can team up together. I'm actually teaming up with 
a woman right now to do a woman's shoot and we'll do a range day where women who want to learn how to shoot, we'll, they can shoot 22 rifles and then we will progress to high caliber rifles. Uh, there's, there are so many things. If you just speak up and say that you're interested, you can learn with Colorado parks and wildlife. I help this summer. Our event was canceled, but we have, at, it's a women's cast and blast type event and we bring women, we shoot 22 rifles and handguns, and we shoot muzzle loaders, shotguns. Then we go to high caliber rifle. We shoot 223. We shoot maybe a hunting round. It varies by year, maybe a 308 or a 270 rifle. And then we shoot a 50 cal. And so it, it, you can get the whole gamut if you're wanting to just learn how to handle a gun before you decide if you want to hunt. So there are so many outlets if you just put the word out and you'll, you'll find it. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's a lot of different opportunities for women starting to emerge. We see that reflected in clothing, these different opportunities, um, more female influencers of the good caliber, I should say, because there are good influencers and bad influencers out there, but I, I start to see more good influencers out there. And we have several who are in our POMA organization as well. We know a lot of excellent female influencers, but you start to see women now kind of um, shaping the discourse and the dialogue in the outdoor industry, which is really exciting to see. Yeah, it, it is exciting to see. And as you said, high caliber, something with joining an organization like POMA if yes. you do have mentors, you have people who can ask, but you can also learn ethics it, by just going to a media event. If you go to the Puma conference, you're with other media, you can discuss, you know, well, is this how I should post this picture on media? I've written articles about how to pose with your game for a photo. And that's mm. something that's really important to me because in trying to keep hunting and educate a non-hunter, we don't want to offend them. You, you want to know how to res- be respectful to an animal after you've taken it down. Right. So that, that's something you can learn at a media event. If you're ever, if someone's in, in media and interested in attending those events, as Gabriella said, there are scholarships that you can apply for to go and attend those. Next year, Poma will be in Franklin, Tennessee, and we're really excited about that. So yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. Granted, no more disruptions. By, I hope COVID is gone, long gone by then. I think it will be. I hope so, too. Yeah. I guess I kind of I said it with hesitation because things this year, not just POMA, but events have been scheduled and rescheduled and pushed back and pushed back. And they're tentative, tentatively being scheduled yeah. for 2021. And we're just hoping that they don't have to be. Yeah. Canceled, so. I just saw that NWTF is postponed next year too Is like it? get virtual yeah Ken Perot posted that I was like oh wow so oh I don't know yeah. <laughs> so going to yeah, be- I- but God willing yeah it, it does take place and Mia where can people connect with you because you are a repository of information online and on your blog but where can people read you connect with you follow you follow your musings tutorials things of that sort where can people connect with you well and and I try to be available and I'm I'm you can reach me and contact me. I'm not somebody where you like leave a message and I have 500,000 and you never get a response. So if if somebody has a question about anything we've talked about, you can send that to me on any of my social media outlets and just look up Mia Anstine. It's M-I-A-A-N-S-T-I-N-E. So Mia Anstine, 
www.jennyhoffman.com is my website and you can find me there. I'm available if you want coaching calls. I'm available for that. So let me know if you want to sit down and have a talk for a half an hour or an hour or something like that. I can do that. I'm available for conferences. If you need a keynote speaker and you want to learn more about hunting, I'm available for that. I'm headed down to She Never Quit to teach archery. So I do archery classes as well. But if you want to contact me, just email Mia, M-I-A, at MacOutdoors.com. And that's M-A-C-O-U-T-D-O-O-R-S.com. And I will reply to you from that. Very great. Very awesome. Thank you so much, Mia, for coming on the podcast. I think people will take away a lot of information as it relates to the wolf ballot initiative. I have no idea how that's going to go, but I hope the good people of Colorado see through that, see kind of through the uh, twisted uh, words and language and uh, hopefully vote in the right way. Uh, That doesn't interfere with wildlife management efforts. Yeah, I hope they do because as I said, it's, it's kind of, it's so discombobulated right now, the facts and what, what are facts, what are not facts that it's, to me personally, if you're that unsure, just you should vote no. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I will. Yeah. Yeah. No. That that's super important to take away. And uh, no, it's really great to have you on. I know we have tried to plan to get together, but I'm hoping after all this subsides, I could see you. I'm actually going to be what is it? Flying through Denver to go to my Wyoming hunt, but I don't know if I'll have any time to to sit or if it's on the way where and you. To- live. But, As I say, and people always say, I'm in Denver. I have, I've been delayed and Denver's six hours away from me. Oh, <laughs> no. like, you had put a thing out about New Mexico recently. Oh, I, yeah. I look at New Mexico <laughs> and Albuquerque is about three hours from where I live. Oh, I'm closer okay. to Albuquerque, but if you end up in New Mexico, I gave you a couple areas for fishing. Let me know because I will, I'll, I'll go to you at those areas. I, I, I was planning my trip. I found excellent deals with hotels, but I saw you have to quarantine for two weeks if you're out of like state from, t- except for 10 different states. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to hold back on this. Or they say, if you can prove uh, that you've been tested. And I'm like, I've been away and pretty clean and, and keeping myself away from infection and, and masking up when right. I need to. So I may have to delay New Mexico, I think a little bit. Yeah. That's a little too much two weeks quarantine when you're going only for like five days to a week. So Oh, yeah, on. and that's an interesting thing because one of the waters that I had given you, the the San Juan, they are only right now. If you hire a guide, they're only guiding residents. Oh, so wow! You, if, okay. if somebody is listening and they're traveling, that's something to check out before you go. Make sure that you don't have to quarantine, or if you if you do, make sure you have time. But also check to see because that's something normally you can go the day of and book a guide. And right now, a non-resident cannot be guided. So, and, and I say right now, check, because it may have changed today. Who knows? <laughs> Things change. Things are changing all the time. So. Right. Yeah. I'm hoping at some point I can. But yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll sadly be in a different corner of you than in color, of Colorado. Uh, so we'll get together hopefully sometime. If not, we'll get together at Nashville. But it's been such a blast talking to you. Uh, hearing you talk about these different issues, what you do for women's empowerment. And I'm really grateful for your perspective and your friendship. And I hope people do uh, take your suggestions and they connect with you and and learn more about your efforts. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to visit with. If you liked this episode with Mia, leave us a review. And if you haven't come through past episodes yet, go check those out. 
on your preferred platform, especially if you have Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or others. Our home base is anchor.fm, where you can find all episodes and participating podcasting hosts if you're unsure where to find us. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Happy hunting. Happy fishing. And go outside if you can.